This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm joined by the full crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. Today, we we got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to be getting to some football bowl game talk, recapping Georgia State's 38-17 loss to the Wyoming Cowboys. Uh, we're going to get into some basketball, got a lot to talk about, so I'm not going to dilly-dally. Let's just get right into it. Gentlemen, welcome to 2020. How are we feeling? New year, new time. 2020 vision. Oh, God. I don't have a cheesy lead-in for that, but, you know, how was the bowl game, guys? You it was guys fun. You to see it in person. The, I will say the experience from a, like, media perspective was really good. The good hospitality, uh, pretty nice stadium, all things considered, at least in terms of uh, press access and stuff. I mean, it's it's a Pac-12 stadium, nice campus. Tucson's a cool town with a lot of fun stuff to do. I know a lot of Panther fans, myself included, did some interesting stuff around town in the days before and after. But uh, yeah, it was uh, overall a good experience. The product on the field and some of the uh, stuff during the game is really not what you want to see for the Panthers team, but I'm not really upset with uh, the Arizona Bowl as a bowl. I know a lot of people were really uh, hesitant to uh, be excited about it, but it was, it was a good experience. Yeah, I, again, would echo what Jordan said. Really nice setup. Um, can't complain about anything from the media side of things. And just as a you know aside and giving coach Elliott some credit right at the end of his press conference you know he could have been mad about the loss mad about the way the season ended the last thing he wanted to do was to thank all the people from the georgia state beat so to speak who made the trip out and he had everyone raise their hands and thanked everyone personally and so that was a nice touch from him yeah that was fun yeah, could any number of things could have been on his mind. He could have been just like, "Let I want to get off this podium. I, I want to," and so that was a nice character moment from him. Uh, the game was frustrating because thirty-eight seventeen looks like and is a blowout, uh, but the, there were a lot of opportunities there, and Georgia State didn't come close to playing their best game. Yeah, I so I I got to see the game. Um, I watched it a few days after it happened, um, just due to some holiday travel. But uh, it if you watched that game and didn't see the score, really, it wouldn't have felt like it was a thirty-eight seventeen game. You know, I think there was a lot of things that we've talked about throughout the year defensively that uh, Georgia State both did right and did you know kind of wrong, but it didn't seem like they were truthfully that out of a football game, but it wasn't, it wasn't really close after the first quarter. There's just a lot of really bad misses on special teams and some really questionable play calling, including the uh, really, really baffling call to try and block a punt that just completely transformed that drive. And Sean Elliott, to his credit, did uh, take ownership of that in the press conference and said, Hey, well I should have, completely uh vetoed that but i didn't so that's on me but it was the team offensively seemed better than they were at the end of the season in some respects but you could tell especially after dan went down in the uh second quarter with the what appeared to be a re-injury to his knee thankfully he seemed to be okay and finished out most of the rest of the game after resting through halftime but it's just 
a lot of really costly mistakes, just mistake after mistake after mistake, just turnovers. Oof, it was, it was bad. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I was really encouraged by that first drive uh, where it looked like Dan of old. And, you know, it sucks that they couldn't have kept that momentum going throughout the game, you know, but this was the first time that Dan has rushed for more than 15 yards in a game since he tore the injury, which seems crazy. It was nice to see that even if it was for just over, you know, half of a football game to halfway through the third quarter, that it looked like Dan of old, that dynamic quarterback that we saw for the beginning of the year, you know? Yeah, I the, the beginning of the game, I mean, I hope that even in the loss, Dan and seniors and the guys who won't play for the team again can go back and look at that drive and just be like, that's us. And, you know, forget about the loss, forget about the stretch of the at the end of the year with going from six and two to finishing seven and six, because that's what this team could be all year and showed it often. And it definitely felt like it was going to be a different game than what it turned out based on that first drive and based on what the expectations were, because Wyoming hadn't let any team run for 170 yards all year. And Georgia state ended up with 199. And I think if you had told me before the game, Georgia state will not only be the best rushing team that Wyoming faces in total yards, but also does what they do in the first drive, I would have been like, oh, so this isn't at all what we expected. And it's going to be a Georgia State win. But that's not how it played out. I thought if you gave me the given that Georgia State will run the ball successfully, I would have said that's going to be a Georgia State win because I thought that that would be what the game would turn on. But just because of you you having back-to-back offensive plays that ended in turnovers, the turnover on down that was originally called a touchdown on a fumble return, but got overturned. And then the next drive, just a really bad interception on the first play of the drive. And Wyoming scored the two touchdowns there. And what Jordan alluded to the blocked punt attempt that ended, ended up continuing Wyoming's last drive of the half, which culminated in that just crazy 51 (laughs) yard touchdown pass where Levi Williams got hit by Jordan Venezil into the bench, but he got off the pass downfield. Wyoming guy makes the entire back half of the defense miss inexplicably. And what should have probably been a sack or just incomplete pass was a touchdown that swung the game. Oh, that was just such a bad, bad, bad play. Um, And it sucks because, you know, a lot of the, I felt like the front four for Georgia State did an exceptional job. As you said, Jordan Venezale played incredibly well. I think he had, what, two, three tackles for a loss. Um, And, I mean, they were great tackles. You know, he was getting after guys in the backfield. And, you know, but that play, it's it's just – it seems like Georgia State was just a step too slow. Or, you know, anytime it was third and short, the defense was playing off and – you know, Wyoming got that first down that they needed, you know, it's, it's little things like that. That'll turn a team from, you know, being on the field for 33 minutes to getting off the field and getting their offense a chance to actually, you know, move the ball and, you know, changing the field position battles. You know, I think the defense has bright spots, but there's just, they're just missing a couple of different things in my humble opinion. And I think you 
you have to accept for the, the end of the season for what it was. It wasn't what you had in mind. It wasn't. It was also troubling because it's the same thing that happened down the stretch in 2017. Although, I think that you can say that without giving an excuse, the slump down the end of the year this year happened for a reason. And so, I think going forward. And I mean, does anyone else have anything specific they want to say about the Arizona Bowl? I will say Wyoming was a uh, really cool opponent to uh, play a game against and just see they've got a pretty energetic fan base. I was surprised. Well, not not like completely surprised, but we uh, we pulled up to the tailgate before the game while we were waiting for a uh, media will call to open up. And uh, there's just Wyoming fans everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I mean everywhere. <laughs> I think the attendance for the game was 32,000 something. And it was probably 31,500 Wyoming fans there. It was a really, really fun, energetic environment, except they were uh, cheering for the wrong team. Yeah, I thought so, too. I thought going in that whatever the result was, it was going to be cool to play a team like Wyoming that Georgia State's not going to schedule Wyoming out of conference just because it's it's just a brutal trip to schedule a week. So it's nice that this game afforded the opportunity to play a team you probably wouldn't put on the schedule just for geographic reasons. And yeah, it was a good emblematic G5 fan base to to inspire, be inspired if you're a fan to see that energy and say, that's what we want from our school. And, and all we just said about Georgia State and the the shortcomings in the game Wyoming played really well. They didn't make the same mistakes, and it felt like every time they got an opportunity to take a lead or tack on or whatever, they took the opportunities they got, and Georgia State didn't, and that was really the difference. Yeah, it seemed like every little mistake that Georgia State made, Wyoming was there to pounce on it and capitalize on it. You know, hats off to them. They played incredibly well, but mm, it still felt like Georgia State could have been in that game. So now that we've kind of broken down the Arizona Bowl situation, where does that leave us with thinking back on this Georgia State football season? What have we learned? What do we think about going into the offseason? What are what are what are we what are we, what are we thinking? The injury bug just absolutely devastated this team. And it's just it not even not even just Dan. Throw Dan out of the picture. You had what? Two or three like top tier wide receivers, uh at least one running back out for the season in the first half with injuries. You had Brandon Wright played a game as a kicker and a punter while having the flu. Like there's, there's nobody else that could have played better than that. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of questions with regard to depth that need to be answered with this team going into the next year as some of these upperclassmen are replaced. But at the end of the day, seven wins in a regular season, team record, school record. Can't complain about that. Sure. We could have had eight or nine, maybe 10 i don't know but uh it, it would have been nice to win the bowl game but hey seven and six is still a winning record and that was still the team's third bowl game in what their sixth season in the fbs sixth full season i feel like personally i struggle with this question because i think there are two points where i kind of weighed my expectations for State this year and that was at the beginning of the season and then that was kind of during the second bye week, right before they played ULM. And at the beginning of the season, I thought that this team could have got six wins. 
you know, I think college football is really hard. I think that they were probably going to lose to some of the teams in the Sun Belt that they have lost before to in the past. App State, um, you know, Troy, but Troy wasn't that good this year. Um, sorry, Troy wasn't as good this year as they have been in the past. Um, sorry, Scott. <laughs> but, I, you know, I I figured that they could have still gone on the road and beaten Texas State. You know, they would have played Coastal Carolina at least cl- close. You know, beat a Furman, beat a Western Michigan. You know, I figured by the end of the season that they were a team that could have been bowl eligible. You know, but then as we got to later in the season, I personally moved my expectations for the season. So when Dan went down, I think it kind of bummed me out a little bit because genuinely, I thought that this team probably should have only lost to App State the rest of the way. If Dan stayed healthy, I think that was the only other loss on their schedule. But we're sitting here and they lost to three other Sunbelt teams and then they lost their bowl game. You know, so I think on the whole, they definitely exceeded my expectations, you know, but I still have this feeling of I want more. I wanted them to achieve more this year, you know, and that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's a tricky thing because I think when it was a six and two team, expectations did change for a lot of people. And life doesn't always work like that. And you have to move forward. But I think it is important to say, not to take away any disappointment people have, but with Georgia State's history, you cannot look down at a seven and six season. You can aspire to better and you can wish that the season could could have gone better, but seven and six at this point, especially given what's gone on in the past and just some of the real lows that the team has gone through, you cannot look at this as a failure. And especially when you add on that you beat an SEC team at their place and you really took it to them at that. Uh, Not to overly belabor. I don't want it to be a thing where next August we are still just continually bringing up the Tennessee win, but it was a big deal. And it was the highlight of this year, I think you can say, in retrospect. Nothing really ended up topping that. Um, And it was a big deal. But again, I don't, if we're still talking about it next August, you know, send in listener questions and be like, please stop talking about the Tennessee win. (laughs) But this is what I keep going back to in, in my mind. And I guess I'm going to move to just general off season football talk. Um, what we have learned from both in 2017, when the defense was a strength of the team and in 2019, when the offense was a strength of the team is if you want to clear that hurdle and win a Sunbelt championship, both sides of the ball have to be really good. It's app state has been that way. They've had it on both both sides of the ball. And as a result, they've been the best team in the conference since they've joined basically. And so I don't know what the answer is. We're not out here calling for heads. Like that's not our place. Uh, Reassignment within, you know, finding a new defensive coordinator on staff, whatever, or going out and finding one from outside. But the fact of the matter is the, the defense got a lot of the experience last year with some guys getting to play early because of injuries and just lack of depth. And this year, the defense gave up 37.4 points per game. This year, it only improved to 36.2. And you saw a lot of the same things on defense that plagued the team last year and their struggles to happen in the bowl game. A lot of 
busted coverages leading to just big plays, wide open runners. And it's a problem and it's not going to, it, it might not get any better. Like it, it might not be that the current scheme is the answer and you can't get complacent with this because the offense is replacing Dan Ellington, but the offense might still be a plus next year. Next, next quarter might quarterback coming and might be able to do enough in the, and if next year, if you still have a, you know, 30 plus point offense and the defense is still struggling because nothing changed or whatever, then that's going to be a real disservice to the progress of the team. Oh, I mean, I think that's well said. It's hard to watch a defense that is predicated on avoiding the big play, give up big play after big play after big play. Oh, and I think coming into the year, we talked a little bit about how important it was to develop a pass rush. And I think this year they were markedly improved from last year. Um, I think what they had like three sacks last year. No, they had like six or seven. Um, And I think they kind of changed their scheme a little bit and were a lot more effective with the guys that they use this year. Um, But I still think that things have to get better as the defense, you know, and Brady, you've said it a lot throughout the year. It's, you know, getting more quarterback hits and, you know, more negative plays affecting the outcome of plays more than just hitting guys after the fact and stuff like that. Um, So it'll, I don't know the answer, obviously. I don't envy uh, Coach Elliott for what he has to do or the conversations internally with Georgia State football, um, but something has to change. Something's got to be different on that front if this team is going to have aspirations for Sunbelt Championships galore. Yeah, and I would just also say explicitly, because I, I would want to single this out as a point to say that I'm not trying to be overly negative to the players on the field because there's guys at every level on the defense that can be really good and have been really good. This is not to disparage the players because I think that there are some real building blocks for the defense that if something, even if it's tinkering within the scheme, whatever, like just it, it's got to, something has to be different because it's Einstein doing the same thing and expecting different results, the definition of insanity. It's just, you can see what happens just within one year in any conference in college football. You can see teams that, whether it's they actually make a change of defensive coordinator, or offensive coordinator, or whether it's just they change something. It doesn't mean, this year being 36.2 points allowed, doesn't mean that next year's defense automatically has to be bad. Like, it can change over the course of an off season. It's just about finding the right way to make a change. But I think that there's still potential. And I think that while there's a lot of at the top, Dan Ellington, Hunter Atkinson, Trey Barnett, you're losing a lot of good leaders. You're not losing a ton of players and there's good experience coming back. There's a good signing class coming in. And so I don't know that, what you lose is irreplaceable. And on the topic of kind of looking forward to some offseason news, uh, we do have one concrete piece of information to talk about. Jimmy Smith, uh, Georgia State running back coach, has gone to Arkansas. So that's something that we're going to have to be monitoring towards uh, the 
off season. I mean, this has been kind of a pattern for Georgia State, so it's not a process that coach is unfamiliar with. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on how that situation develops, and hopefully, I mean, there is a lot of talent in that running backs room, and it's going to be a pretty critical part of making sure that the offensive identity of this team stays to the run, especially considering it's going to be such a big change coming with Dan Ellington leaving and the other person coming in at quarterback. So my kingdom for a running back coach staying more than a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It, it is a loss because it was obvious he did a good job with the running backs this year. Also just a loss because he had real Atlanta gravitas in the recruiting he had been a successful high school coach in the Atlanta area and so in that regard I'd be interested to see if another person with Atlanta connections is who gets hired to replace him but I think that's where the biggest loss could be because I think he got hired away to Arkansas an SEC school because Sam Pittman noticed that he had a real way to recruit the city of Atlanta and could do more for him at an SEC school. And so it's a loss. And I should also say that if you're losing coaches to power five programs, that coach was doing a good job. And so you benefited from it. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's the positive of that guy was doing something right. Cause he just hired, got hired by an SEC school. Right. Like you said, he did a great job and that was clear on the fields that we saw this year. I mean, Georgia state had a record rushing year in a ton of facets. Trey Barnett easily established himself as the best running back in Georgia state history. Like he did a lot with the talent that we had. So, you know, we obviously wish the best of luck to him and thank him for everything he did for the programs. So that was a lot to talk about. We're going to have a lot more content coming to kind of break down the signing class Georgia State just went through, as well as kind of some season review pieces. So we'll be sure to share that stuff on social media. So make sure you guys are following us on Facebook, Twitter, all that fun stuff to make sure you don't miss any of that. Um, and again, we're going to be covering Georgia State offseason stuff, whether it be recruiting or you know new coaching hires, that kind of stuff. Um, so make sure you pay attention and keep it locked uh, for all that kind of stuff. But we're going to move into some Georgia State basketball talk. Lots to talk about. Lots and lots and lots to talk about. Um, let's just kind of run through the last couple weeks of Panther basketball. So just a uh, quick reminder, if you need a quick refresher for the last couple weeks of Panther basketball, lost to SMU on the road in a pretty close game. I mean, the Panthers admirably. Um, a solid win over your final non-conference opponent at home against Middle Georgia State then a win against App on the road, and then uh, back-to-back road losses uh, at Coastal Carolina and at Arkansas State. I think that going into this, which is the worst road trip of the conference season, three straight, three in, what, five days, six days? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that going into this, anyone would have been happy with two and one, definitely happy with three and zero, oh, obviously. So the fact that you... Sp- split the Carolinas and then you're in control to go two and one, but then lose it late against Arkansas state. I think it is, it's frustrating to see it go to a one and two road trip, but the fact is it's over. You don't have to get too down about any individual losses because well, it's the one bid league anyway. Uh, But there are definitely things to talk about from some troubling trends, but then also some encouraging things moving forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess let's start with the good. Um, no disrespect to them, but I feel like we can move past the middle Georgia State game. Nice win. Obviously, they play them almost every year. Good to, you know, kind of reset things after that SMU loss. Um, but I wanted to talk about App State because I think coming into the game, we internally talked about how we weren't really sure what App State was. Um, you know, they kind of surprised a little bit in their non-conference schedule. Um, and I think this was a really good road test for Georgia State. And, you know, the good is they built that 17-point halftime lead and, you know, got the lead almost up to 20. And the final score is not really indicative of Ab State coming all the way back. Um, but I think Georgia State has kind of let that problem of taking the foot off the gas pedal creep up at them in second halves of games. Um, that wasn't necessarily the issue against Coastal Carolina. Um, in that one, they just had to come back. They, you know, they kind of went back and forth, back and forth, and Coastal pulled away a little bit, and Georgia State, you know, their comeback attempt went short. But, you know, that's directly what led them to lose at Arkansas State. And, you know, I think if a team is just going to shoot lights out and be better than them, then fine, absolutely. We could sit here all day and talk about that, but sometimes you just get beat. But, you know, the Arkansas State game and a little bit of App State, those games are frustrating because if you just put your foot on the gas pedal, you don't let up and you play 40 minutes of, you know, great basketball, you're probably going to win games. In App State's case, the deficit was a little bit too large, couldn't come back all the way, but you know, Georgia State left the door wide open for Arkansas State to come back the entire time. Entire second half. That's all Arkansas State really did was just come back and chip away at that lead. And you know, I think there was like three, three, four, five minutes where Georgia State just could not score in the second half. And that's, you know, that leads to games like that. Yeah, it's I guess I'll also take the opportunity to talk about some positives first, you know, good for good before the bad in this last game i nelson phillips and Kevonte ivory were tremendous off the bench and they brought an energy together and defense especially when there was a little bit of zone thrown in to, to throw back to the hunter days um it was really really encouraging to see and if those two can be a force even if it's not always at the same time in both games but nelson's been a really solid contributor for the entire conference season and he definitely was not the reason for the loss because he played great on Monday. Cavante had a what I have to believe is a career high by a lot, 13 points, 6 of 8 from the field. I think that the, the trouble is just that the turnovers and the nature of the turnovers and how they're happening in open play, it's starting to become a problem. Uh, it's... It's been an issue most of the year, and we definitely have talked about it throughout the year, but against Coastal, you just kept turning it over. It just it was piling on, piling on, and it was pass across the court that gets intercepted and Coastal runs in transition or just a bad pass, not putting enough loft on it to get it into the paint or whatever, and it wasn't even just one person against Coastal. You turned it over 23 times, and... No one had more than five, 
and a couple with four, a couple with three. And so when, when it's not even just like one person's having a bad night, that's a troubling thing with turnovers because this team, a lot of the guards can just get by whoever they want in man defense, just on the drive pretty much when they want a lot of good shooters and there's a post presence. Like it, all the parts together, it feels like a really good cohesive unit to go get wins. And it's just stuff like the turnovers is just a real cause. It's a real problem. It's a real um, pebble in the cog, I guess. I was looking for the metaphor. No, I, Yeah, it's going to definitely hold them back from, you know, whatever goals that they have set for themselves, because you're right. Like, this is not a overtly bad turnover prone team. I mean, 14 or 15 turnovers a game. Yeah, I mean, that's probably middle of the pack in the country. Um, you know, you'd obviously like to see that number closer to 10. But, you know, I think you can live with that, especially since this is a Georgia State team that, you know, forces opponents to have 17 turnovers a game. But, man, that Coastal game was just incredibly sloppy. You know? And they didn't deserve to actually win the game, and that's why they didn't, you know? I would argue, you know, if we're, if we're going for... What we want, I don't think. I think fourteen is too high. I mean, fourteen is not a. I wouldn't say that's probably middle of the pack. I'd say that's probably below average in the country. But I guess the other point is that it's literally even assist to turnover. The assist to turnover ratio this year is exactly one right now, and you definitely. It, it's you're not going to have a lot of success if you're turning it over as much as you're getting assists. It's not a scientific thing, but as good as the turnover margin or as good as the forced turnovers are, the fact that you're turning it over almost 15 a game is negating some of the impact that that good defense is having. Which sucks because it's a really good defense. It is exactly as good as last year's. And they switch schemes like that's really, really impressive. I would even argue it's better than last year's and I can, I just pulled up the Sunbelt conference rankings for all these different statistical categories. Um, Georgia state's next closest team in terms of three point defense percentage is uh, three eleven. Where do you think Georgia state is sitting at the year on a three point defense allowed? Oh, it's, in I like know the, the answer. It's got it. It's like in the two sixties, two seventies, but you nailed it right there. Two sixty. Oh, which is yeah. insane. No, no, no. It, not only is it insane, it's like considering the like, caliber of teams that Georgia State displayed, including Georgetown and Duke, ranked number what two, three at the time. Duke, uh, yeah, I've that's that's probably the biggest takeaway on the positive end that I've had so far this year is just Georgia State smothering perimeter defense. They're like top five in the country, aren't they? Uh, I can look it up. Hold on, and that's with. Arkansas State did have a good game against him. So, like, the numbers are even, have been even better in the recent past. It's just, you know, the one game bumped it up from 25 to 26 is how scrubs at 26% three points allowed. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a, you know, you're shooting threes really well, 38%. You're not allowing threes, 26%. The field goal percentage overall is 39% allowed. The thing that if you're going to nitpick on the offensive side is you're just a hair under 45%. And so if you're shooting a little better overall, 
uh, it's going to go better. I think that follows logically. I don't know. Check the math on that. Uh, but it, I think that there is room for improvement in that percentage. I don't think you can aspire to much better than holding a team under 39% shooting or 26% from three. Like, I think that those are pretty good numbers that you could try and maintain, but that part, if it isn't getting better than that, you're in a good place. But I think if you're looking at things that could improve just on the raw numbers, if you are shooting a better percentage, then that's going to be the difference because I think what you can point to in the Arkansas state loss and in the coastal loss is there were large stretches where you stopped scoring. And you can even say the same in the app state win. what got app state closer in the game was just long scoreless stretches or long stretches without any field goals. And I, so I think that that's where I would think that improvements can come aside from keeping control of the ball is just, in those moments where you've got to lead, say, eight eight to 12 points, whatever, which I think they had in all three games on this trip, just making the shots in those moments, even if it's just every other possession rather than none at all, then I think that that's the difference between the wins and losses. A quick sidebar. I looked up on NCAA's like official uh, stats website that I use for football all the time. Um, their basketball is actually pretty lackluster they don't have three point percentage like defense as a category but georgia state is 21st in the country in three point field goal percentage at 38.2 percent uh they're tied for 19th in steals per game with 9.4 and we are sitting at 35th in the country at scoring offense at 79.4 wow super good very good defense you can score and especially, I mean, I, I'm not willing to call it like a slump, but Corey Allen has definitely like slowed down a touch after a really, really solid like November, December campaign he put together. Um, just had his stats pulled up. Give me just a second. I'd be able to justify this. Wow. Fifth in the country, three-point field goal defense. Holy moly. Yeah, that's a stat. Yeah, so starting with the Charlotte game, uh, at the end of November, Corey Allen shot for 17 points on seven for 15. Then that 28 point eruption against Dartmouth in that overtime win. Uh, he's 10 for 20 from the field in that game. 16 points the next game, still even on the field uh, at 50%, six to 12. And then put up one stinker with two points against UTA. And then 17 and 18 points respectively against Texas State. And then, then that loss against SMU. And since then, his field goal percentage in the next game still scored 12 points, uh, three and nine from three, but it was 25% from the field and then 11 and 12 and then four points. So other than scoring a good bit of his uh, 12 points from the free throw line against middle Georgia state, Corey um, Allen has definitely slowed down a touch. And I think the Panthers have really missed that extra scoring option that he gives them and he can kind of take over games in that moment. So if he can kind of get back on track and not, I'm not saying that his performance has been bad, bad, but he has slowed down just a touch from that with that stretch of seven games where he played so well for Georgia state. And we won seven games in a row that if we can get back to getting him at that level of production, I think that this team is going to benefit a lot, benefit greatly from it. And that sucks because, you know, it seems like there's always somebody who has been able to pick him up. 
you know, in the Arkansas State game, it was Damon Wilson, who whenever Georgia State needed a bucket, you know, they went to their senior, you know, the guy who's got, who's been there before. And he got them a couple clutch threes that they desperately needed to stop the Arkansas State's Arkansas State run. You know, in the Coastal Carolina game, it was a little bit more Kane Williams. You know, we kind of saw him take over in stretches and, you know, it's. It's frustrating because it's not just one guy, you know, it's been a couple of different guys that have just taken over games when Georgia State has needed a bucket. And, you know, I I would agree with you. I would agree that, you know, Corey Allen has kind of sagged off a little bit. But I think it's also, you know, especially with the last two games, they didn't have just one guy that could put them over what they needed. And that I think either... I guess we have to ask if it's going to still be Allen or what happens offensively when Georgia State doesn't have that guy who's just going to sit there and say, tonight's the night I'm scoring 20 points and nobody's going to stop me. Right, and I don't want my point to make it come off like I'm disparaging that he's the only reason that the team has seen a little bit of a step back in production because that's absolutely not true. A lot of the problems that we've touched on are more kind of holistic team issues that somebody performing individually, like you said, isn't going to overcome. I think it is worth going back to the point which Lanier has been one to continue to say is despite some of the big names who were returning and had played on tournament teams, it is by and large an inexperienced team that doesn't have a ton of D1 experience. And there's a lot of talent, and I wouldn't put many teams in the Sun Belt ahead of Georgia State on just talent alone, but... This far into the season, especially with this road trip as it was, uh, it'd be understandable if this is a rough patch and this is where guys are starting to feel it in the legs and just the brunt of a full season is starting to weigh on guys. So I think that that's another part of it, and it's just going to be about these two losses weren't going to be the difference between you making the postseason or not. But what are you going to learn from them and what happened in them to not have that happen again when you're in that situation again? Uh, I think we've taken for granted in the past few years that there has just been a guy like Malik Ben-Levy who's been there through all of it and who's done the growing already. I think a, a lot of the guys on the roster, with maybe the exception of Kane Williams, are still doing that growing. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's true. And the nice thing is, is Georgia State will have an immediate opportunity to, one, test the legs, but two, kind of test the metal of the team. Because, you know, the Raging Cajuns come to town on Thursday. Um, you know, it's not a blockbuster Sunbelt showdown as it's been in years past, but it's still, you know, sort of a rivalry game. And it's it's definitely a game that I think that the team kind of gets up for a little bit. and it'll be important to see just kind of how they respond to this past weekend. I would, I would go a little bit further even and say there's, it's basically the, the schools that come on the schedule divided by states or just basically, I think the Carolinas for app and coastal. And I think in every pairing, there's at least one team that you go for this season Oh, we have to watch out for them, except for the Louisiana schools. And that's not to say that Georgia State couldn't lose one or both of the games. It's not to say that the teams aren't able to win on any given night. 
but I think that it's fair to say that this is probably the best home set for Georgia State because Louisiana Lafayette is struggling with injuries and has not had a year that they wanted this year. And ULM, similarly, I don't know what their injury situation is. It, it's not nearly as bad as uh, Louisiana's, I would, I would not think. I think they're down to like eight healthy scholarship players. But it's neither team really scares you like the teams you just played in App or Coastal or Little Rock who have surged on and are the two-game leaders in the Sun Belt right now. And so I think in that way, it's important to win your home games, as we have said and will keep saying. But I also think you're playing at home and you're playing teams that on paper – you should be able to win and win comfortably. And so while you didn't get much rest on this three-game stretch and you couldn't put a game away, which meant that starters had to play all the way down the stretch in all three games, maybe this is a time where you can get greedy and say not only does Georgia State need to win, but Georgia State needs to get the starters out with six minutes left. Yeah, two comfortable wins would be very nice for the Panthers. It would help them greatly because you know, the season doesn't necessarily get any easier after this week. Um, so they've got to go to the Alabama schools. We'll kind of touch on that later, um, but they'll have three straight road games again uh, once they go to Alabama and then they'll play Southern. So, you know, two comfortable wins against the Louisiana schools kind of regroup as we kind of get into the teeth of Sunbelt play. That would go a long way to seeing what this team really can do. And this is the way getting ahead of myself point that I'll go to. I, we're not talking about the Little Rock game, but I would just say Little Rock looks very good and they are currently two games ahead of everyone in the conference. But uniquely, Georgia State is in a position where all I have to do is take care of home games and maybe get a little luck. But if if they go into that last game, just one game back, if all they do is win that game against Little Rock because they happen to play them last game of the year, then they win the regular season if it's still the same situation. So it's definitely too early to be schedule watching and standings watching, although we're going to do it anyway because we're all about that fun belt. Um because of the way the schedule worked out, you've got that last game against them. You've got the last shot that if you win in that last game, it's all in your destiny. Yeah. And it's, it's all, even though it's a one bid league, it's always nice to have that feather in your cap that you won regular season. That's not nothing. Guys care about that. And, and we also have to remember that the expectation coming into the season for this team was that they were going to finish at the bottom of the league. And if coach Lanier is able to come in here with and take basically uh, this roster, take them and go through the regular season and win, I think that would be a massive outperformance of expectations and would do a lot to setting up, uh, do a lot towards setting up Georgia state for future success because recruits see that kind of stuff. And, you know, people in the, uh, that are already at schools that are maybe thinking about transferring down from like a high major school and looking for a place that they could come kind of like a Kevin Ware. you know, they see that kind of stuff. So that if Georgia state comes out and again, this is completely all still in hypotheticals because it's January right now, but like you're saying, if Georgia state's in that conversation and in the running for winning the regular season at the end of the year, I don't, think that anybody in their right minds that's watching this team could say that that would be anything short of a massive overperformance of expectations. 
Don't worry, though. It's already transferred you. Guys are still coming here anyway. <laughs> so moving on to the question portion of this week's podcast, Mike from Marietta wants to know, who is the bigger basketball rival to you guys, Georgia Southern or Louisiana? Uh, I'll give you a hint. The coach's name is Bob. I actually kind of struggle with this question because I dislike both the teams for different reasons. Just speaking kind of just as strictly as a fan. Um, and we actually kind of touched a little bit on it that earlier, the fact that the dynamic between Louisiana Lafayette and Florida state has kind of changed because a lot of the perceived beat was between Bob Barlin and Ron Hunter. And now that Ron Hunter isn't here, does any of that change for the players and the, the teams? Probably. Uh, speaking as a fan, I, I'm still not a fan of Louisiana Lafayette, but it's a different kind of dislike that I feel like most Georgia State fans have for Georgia Southern. So maybe you guys could kind of help me reason out or kind of work out how actually I feel about this because I really don't know. This question kind of threw me for a loop. I think for me personally, the Louisiana hatred is the wrong word, but the Louisiana animosity rivalry, yeah, rivalry is 99% the 2014 Sunbelt Conference Tournament Championship game and uh, how that ended, the heartbreak associated with that. But then also when Bob Marlin's wife got into Twitter fights with Georgia State fans, and that I'm not going to I'm not going to say that the Georgia State people weren't at fault, but really, you're going to get in a Twitter fight with someone who's a student at Georgia State because they were heckling you at a basketball game? when they're part of a student section whose job is to heckle. I don't know. That's just really. See, this is good because I, I lean the other way actually uh, for a few reasons. The first of which, and this is very dangerous to say the day before another game with them, but Uh-oh. it hasn't been a rivalry for a few years. No. Georgia State has been owning Louisiana in basketball. You can go back to the first Sunbelt championship that Louisiana came back and won in that was heartbreaking. But Georgia State's knocked Louisiana out of more Sunbelt tournaments in their time in the Sunbelt than Louisiana has Georgia State. And the heightened circumstances of that one does make it particularly painful memory. But Georgia Southern has also rained on Georgia State's parade in a couple of times with uh, unfortunate losses finally a team in the state Southern rivalry won on the road again for the first time since the nineties. Uh, and it was Georgia state last year, but I think that the, the Georgia Southern of it all overrules it because at the end of the day, Georgia state has been winning the games as of late. And as Taylor started off by saying with a lot with Ron Hunter and I don't know, I guess we'll find out but I don't know that there's going to be any animosity between these coaches because I don't know how well they know each other, but I don't think that uh, Rob Lanier will have given Bob any reason to, you know, say stuff in a post game or whatever, but I guess we'll find out. That is also to say that I'm certainly not a fan of Bob Marlin just in general. <laughs> I think my rivalry <laughs> is more with him than it is with anything to do with <laughs> That's Sorry fair. for listening, Bob. Yeah, fan of the big friend of the show, Bob Marley. <laughs> I think that man's allergic to blue. 
And I think that the, the added element of it too is that like Georgia State and Georgia Southern have a general rivalry where I feel like Louisiana and Georgia State have a very specific rivalry just in basketball. And maybe yeah. that's just because I am not as plugged into the rest of the Sun Belt football, you know, larger universe. Um, but it just seems like it's a kind of a one sport rivalry, but it's a very concentrated rivalry, um, specifically with Bob Martin. But there's just a general air of general like dislike between Georgia State, Georgia Southern. It could be any, you know, it could be, you know, football, soccer, basketball, underwater basket weaving, intramural competitions. Like there's just an extra level of dislike between Georgia State and Georgia Southern that I think permeates all activities, not even just limited to sports. I should also say, Jordan, uh, if Georgia State wins against Louisiana, we should definitely put that audio back up of the not a rivalry thing. And if uh, Louisiana <laughs> wins, we should uh, burn the tape. Uh, get that away. All right. Well, duly noted. Uh, you'll find out after the game. If you this... hear this, this was the real version of the podcast. <laughs> no, no. The podcast will go live before tomorrow's game. But, uh. Yeah, I mean, this all, all that I said is not to say that I would rather lose to Southern than Louisiana. Of course, I wouldn't want to lose to either team, but uh, it just seems like Southern doesn't really care about basketball that much. Or, like, if the team is good, their people will start talking about basketball or they'll start talking trash or whatever. But if, if they're bad, oh, we're good in football. That's but, any sport, though. Like, don't limit that just to basketball. Like, when football was trash, it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but then let's, well, we're, we're a basketball school now. And then the basketball ended up being not great. Be like, oh, football team's <laughs> good again, conveniently. Thank God. <laughs> How about this? How about Georgia State just doesn't lose to either of them ever again? That would be nice. I'd take Man, that. Hot take, Jordan. We'll just have wow, to play I know. them in the spicy No pressure. Or you go to a different conference and never play either of them ever again. But that's a different topic for a different podcast. American's not a what bin conference. <coughs> no, it's not. And the Sun Belt also should not be a what bin conference. That was a complete change of topic. Had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with what you just said. Of course not. But uh, we're an American basketball conference now. So uh, thanks very much, Mike, for your question, as always. And uh, thank you to all of you listeners who have been supporting us in 2019. It's hard to believe we've almost been doing this thing for an entire year. I believe the uh, podcast anniversary will be. February 7th is when we posted the intro pod, and the 14th was the first actual podcast. Website is the 21st of February. So some exciting milestones coming up for the Thursday Night Podcast and the organization as a whole. Uh, thank you for everyone who's helped be a part of it and made everything happen. And just uh, be on the lookout for some new stuff coming out. Again, the uh, December signees for the early signing period, we're going to have some stuff coming out about them. And some season review pieces are also going to be coming out in the near future. If you remember back around a fall camp, we previewed each of the position groups. So we're going to kind of do a little bit of a recap of that. But uh, other than that, guys, I think that just about covers everything. Anything else? 2019 was a good year for the Georgia State Panthers. Yes. Period. Full stop. And not just limited to football and men's basketball, because that's honestly, that's just, just what the we've had State the time Panthers to cover. in general had a good year in 2019. Pretty much every team that I can think of has had very positive things to speak of, even if it's not necessarily the best season they've ever had. Lots of good progress in every sport, good progress with facilities even, some exciting news coming out about that. It was a good year. Go for great in 2020. Yeah, no more of that 2020 vision nonsense. We've had enough of that. 
But yes, uh, hopefully 2020 will be just as great or better of a year. And uh, we will be back on regular podcast schedules from here on out. We're uh, we're all tired and broke from the holidays. And I know uh, I just spent 10 days in a car driving to the Arizona Bowl and then seeing some family in California and coming back. So I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. I got to go back to work and make a bunch of money. But uh, that's going to do it. I do want to touch on how shocked Coach Elliott was that you drove. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody. Dave Cohen, too. I talked to him at the uh, the press conference. Worst friends of the show. Um, (laughs) We're we're talking about it on Twitter. And it was so funny seeing like Jordan become proxy Twitter famous. Like no one actually knew who he was or was able to like tag him on Twitter or anything. It was like, oh, yeah, some Georgia State beat writer drove the 3000 miles or whatever it is to Tucson. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> People are just incredulous. Like everyone I talked to was like, I can't believe you drove. How expensive is a plane ticket? And then I said, oh, well, my whole family came with me. Like, oh, OK, well, that's yeah. Everyone. Yeah. And those reactions is just that Ryan Reynolds gift where he's like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to thank Enterprise rent car <laughs> I, I felt the other way where I was like, oh, well, I only flew. Like, I went, but did I really, like, grind for this like Jordan? So I, I and boy, are my arms tired. I don't know, man. Cruise control is a uh, hell of a drug. But, yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. And we'll be back at you next week, hopefully talking about some Georgia State basketball wins. See ya. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.